0: Welcome to BFR Radio, a podcast dedicated to all things BFR. This podcast is proudly sponsored by sportsrehab.com.au where if you want to buy your own BFR cuffs or you want more information about the type of training or you just want more information, this is your one place to go. and I'm your host Chris Gavillio. Welcome back to BFR Radio. And I'm straight into how you do BFR, and I've got Matt Ham, strength and conditioning coach. Welcome aboard.
1: Thanks, mate. Good, to, good to be here.
0: So, firstly, a potential uh, language warning here. Um, <laughs> Matt, Matt may drop a few bombs occasionally, and um, look, it's all in good jest, and, and I think everyone's going to really enjoy this convo. And before we get into it. Why I'm excited about getting Matt on is that I actually went to school with him a long, long time ago now. Long time ago, and and I actually remember you being probably about a third of the size that you were. (laughs) I was. I I was
1: only a pup, mate, when I saw you. You were were the big boys. You were leaving school as I was starting. So, um, yeah, my brother's age. Yeah, I remember you guys being absolute tanks, and I was just, just skinny little fella and then i actually got a bit bigger around that grade 11 12 i was the late
0: bloomer so and, and then fast forward i don't know like 20 odd years i mean obviously it came back we went to an ssc conference and then there's this matt ham this unit like
1: how <laughs> tall are well how tall are you six four six four six yeah. four hundred thousand kilos
0: yeah yeah so and like he's solid he's has um, got some muscles <laughs> on him, This boy has no, please and no, i just no. went ham and then i just went no like that's not the <laughs> ham i went to, to school with and no. um pretty cool transformation you know like in terms of you know from the burdick and there's three snc coaches yourself myself and tony lewis who i yep. had on yep. the podcast a couple of guys, so and I'd actually, fo- like, we follow each other as as Absolutely. all professionals do. And, and you know, I know some of the work you do at Hammer Athletic with your German volume training program you add in BFR, so it's practical BFR in particular. And, and I've always thought it'd be really nice to get you on from that angle. But we're skipping a little bit ahead, so a bit about yourself. You had a really cool sporting journey, and, and tell a little bit about the, your sporting journey and how that led into the profession that you currently had.
1: Yeah, absolutely, mate. So, yeah, so uh, a long time ago when I used to play soccer, so play soccer up here up north, and I uh, was at the representative team for a long time, and at the same time I was doing my uh, bachelor degree up here at James Cook University, and um, I was at the end of the NSL, and in between that A League before the A League started, they came up for a bit of a tour to you know build membership, and, and I played for the local team up here against up here in Townsville against uh, Brisbane Roar at the time, and I had a bit of a good game. Obviously, I was, I'm a goalkeeper, so. I was quite busy coming up against a professional team you know i got noticed and i you know, gave up everything finished my degree and went down south and and from there you know after a lot of hard work got got into the got a contract a, a professional contract and i got injured and in and out of the side uh, with some some major injuries so i've had um you know, three shoulder reconstructions and one knee reconstruction so i've had some time out but uh i fought back in a few times and i got to, finally got to a point where i was you know probably it was a thirty or so games sitting on the bench in the A League, and then I played about I think it's eleven games in the A League. So under you know Frank Farina, Andrew Posticoglu, and, and all those guys, and I had stints up here at the North Queensland Fury. Then I got signed at the North Queensland Fury uh, in my last year that I got a player did my knee, and that was the that was the end for me. I just decided twenty seven. I was a goalkeeper. There's only twenty two positions in the country, and that when the North Queensland Fury folded, there was only twenty positions, and all the contracts were gone, and I wasn't going through the. The the lower leagues to do it again, I just didn't have the heart anymore. So I decided to do what's the next best thing for me. And I, I spoke to a, a good friend who was at SSC coach at the time, Al McCall. Um, he's over in Arsenal and Barcelona all that now these days. And he um, said, "Why don't you get into you know you, you know you've done your sports science degree? Why don't you go and do your masters or get a second SNC? And he said it's the next best thing to playing. So and I've had that in my mind ever since. So. Was a passion of mine. I've obviously always had that health science in me. Then I went and did the masters over in ECU back in 2011, 10-11, uh, I think. And I finished that in two years, and it's uh, unbelievable. You know, some of the kings of the of the industry who are my lecturers, and you know, the Greg Hafs, the Dan Bakers, the Jeremy Shepherds, and all those guys. were I was really lucky. Walked into a um, an unbelievable like uh, faculty and. And I've, uh, ever since then, I've gone from starting out my own gym when I, after I finished that and used some of those things that we implemented, like we are going to talk to you about that. Like I learned about occlusion, it was called occlusion more back then. And that's what maybe I'll put these sorts of things that I learned back in those early days and put them into a gym and hadn't been done a lot before. And, and then from there, I've you know, had stints with the Brisbane Roar again as an SNC coach, um, multiple MPL teams, you know, a couple of boxers, a couple of swimmers. You know, we've had a fair, fair share of our, Athletes in and out, you know, and then from there, I, I was lucky enough to get to, what just seems a bit odd, an odd job. Is uh, I got to go to Guam, the Guam national international soccer team, which is was one of my um, friends from the Brisbane rule has got the head coaching role, and he brought me on as SSC coach, which um, you know, unbelievable experience. Weird to say that I was Guam strength and conditioning coach, but you know, they were in the Asian League, so the Asian, um, the Asian Cup. So you know, we did all the qualifiers against the, the Socceroos and. Our group, we had China, Mongolia, Bhutan. We had some real, real, um, some big players in the team. And, you know, we got to go to some wild old places and um, it was a real experience and I was there with them for three years. And the thing about Guam, it's a lot of MLS players from the States. So I had to deal with a lot of MLS athletes. And so, yeah, and I I got all, travelled all over the world. so And I got exposed to competition play, but probably what you're going through now with the bubble, but really intense, short FIFA windows where you had to get boys up and ready to play after and a lot of our guys traveled huge huge things and we use bfr in those camps as well which i can touch on later but um yeah then i came back and now since then my business has been running for over seven years and we're on our um moved up to towns. We're about to start thinking about starting another one up here we've got some some interest and in, and also i've just been recently given the towns of black hooks gig up here for the qrl team so yeah that's a bit about what i've what i've been through and how i got to where i am so not the greatest playing career, <laughs> but uh, it led me to where I am today. So, you know, don't regret anything. So.
0: Yeah, and I think they all have, that's part of the journey. And sometimes yep. that's what makes us good coaches. You know, I, mm. I did track and field to a reasonable yep. level, but not nothing, you know, no Olympics, nothing mm. to put in the newspaper about. Mm. Uh, but definitely the lessons I've learned and the coaches that I've been ment- mentored by have really shaped me, like the course you did at ECU yep. by the... You know, all the big names in S&C yep. that I think we all highly respect. Before we get into BFR, because like Guam Football Club, starting your own business, you know, you've just finished your degree. What made you think about going down that route of starting a business first?
1: Well, at the time, as a pro soccer player, like in the A-League, we weren't earning massive money. And I was obviously on the lower end of the salary scale. So and I always, you know, my dad always said, you know, you can play. You know, he was always a massive supporter. He always never stuff up your education, so he was pushing me always to always get my degree. So when I got my degree and I went down to play soccer, he always said, you know, make sure that you still, still doing something just in case it doesn't work because it's obviously a high risk job. You know, trying to be a professional athlete. And I always, uh, I got into a, a commercial gym. It was a little gym at the time, then built into a commercial gym and. I was working as a personal trainer, as most of our strength, you know, exercise scientists were doing. For you know, there's no, there was no, not many jobs back in the day in 2004, 2000 to 2010. To be fair, a lot of those jobs were the guys who were lecturers later on, so they already had those jobs. So, you know, and I was doing that. I was personal training, doing the local clubs, taking you know my own local soccer teams and. Being involved in, but I was also playing professionally at the time. The good thing about being a PT is you could manipulate your hours. When I got to my masters and I finished the thing, I, uh, my wife had just done an MBA as well. She was like, you know, I had a little subsider working for me. So, cause I was very, very busy at the, at the gym and I was implementing things like I was doing overreaching at the end of a year, which is, you know, I'd get clients in two times a day, train them up for 10 days or seven days, things that no one's ever done before. And, you know, then what better time to have a, you know, a week off of underreaching through Christmas and people felt guilt free through Christmas because they trained so hard. It was this really awful thing. And I explained the science to them and we do athletic development programs, which is like I do everything that eight week challenges would do, but I change the name, but I do it in a periodized way. And I think people really uh, was refreshing in a commercial aspect where it was just like floggy and leave you. And, and, um, by having that degree really opened my eyes. It's like, you know, there's a real market here. For a bit of service and a bit of forethought and, and my wife goes why don't we just do our own we're paying huge rent anyway you know so we might as well just pop our nose so we found our own place and you know i had the freedom to do what i what i wanted and set up the gym how we wanted and, you know back then there was no uh, f45s or fit stops and things like that so we when we did our group strength sort of stuff which is very very big now like crossfit's very big and all those numerous sorts of people and with one coach you know we were doing that we we're only with like five or six to one so with that, we periodized a program, but we had four or five people, so we leveraged the hours, and then well, what we could do then is like I always do like a month of work and then we do a, a, a week of BFR or occlusion at the time. And again, what Jim was doing occlusion in the general public, you know, no one and I use that as a D load, um, you know, it was less than the central nervous system, even though it flogged the muscular system that but that recovers quicker. And then by the following week, bam, we were back into a new phase and and that's how – and I've been doing – literally been doing that for seven years. And the way we were doing BFR back in the day was just – which you'll hear about probably more is um, the old uh, powerlifting wraps. I was wrapping legs and all because of stuff that I'd learned from that degree. So and that's what started – why I started the gym was just that I could then – with uninhibited, not worrying about, you know, the general the membership. I um, had control of the membership. I had control of the way the business was run, and you know, which allowed me to run – to do things that probably – out the grass and making money because not everyone understood them but you know over time i educated our hammer guys and to this day my staff are there unbelievable they um you know most of our hammer guys are the most educated staff and i really i uh, have educated clients and i really enjoy that because um we have a great retention rate we don't have the huge amount of people that pop in but we have a really good retention rate and that's because of these things that i learned you know from that degree all that long ago and obviously doing all those ASCA conferences and level twos and level ones and level threes now and i've I've done all that and i've come out and learned a lot from a lot of people like yourself and coming away and and we implement that i try and implement that to the general public where it's all meant for the athletes but you know there's nothing wrong with dumbing it down and giving it to the guys because at the end of the day most athletes look good so the general public want to look good and why not make them stronger so at least they stay in the gym longer, which means it makes us more money. So that was always my consistency is key and being strong and healthy and forward thought, and that's what started the business.
0: Yeah, great journey. And I think also, I'll be ramble then. Sorry, mate. Yeah. No, it, it's good for me. Really insightful, and you know, many people that I talk to say, we just say we call it Gen Pop as opposed yeah. to versus elite athletes. Yeah. For me, they want to know what the elite athletes are doing exactly. I always find if we can somehow find a way of tailoring a training program that says, well, this is what I'm doing with these elite athletes, but I'm being smart in how I'm coaching you, most of the time they actually probably accelerate their performance oh, yeah. anyway as opposed to doing three sets of 12.
1: Absolutely. They jump on it, mate.
0: And they really enjoy it because it's refreshing as opposed to being flogged or doing the same same supersets or whatever that you'll, you can just rip off the internet. Exactly. Yeah. Now, before we get into BFR, selfishly, the Guam Football Association that look, that just really intrigues me because when you go into a national team, so you know we're talking about bubbles. So, if anyone wants to know what this bubble is, so I'm working with the state of origin team, the Queensland team, and I'm, I guess, stuck in a hotel for three and a half weeks. We fly in and out on the same day to Adelaide, Sydney, and Brisbane, and then at the end of the three and a half weeks, I'll probably be at home for another week quarantine so it's really intense we're bringing similar to yourself bringing players from all different clubs they've got their different training methodology that works well for them so you have to learn that quite quickly what are some of the challenges and some of the learnings from that experience because this is unique where you've got superstars in the soccer world or the football world yeah. coming into one place you have you have to gel as a coach with them you have to bring a level of uniformity across the program, and and also performance at the end of the day is key. Can you elaborate there at all?
1: Absolutely. So, like, if anyone's been in, in soccer, it's a different beast of you know, the rugby league boards that I'm dealing with now, where physical prowess is such a major part of the game. Where soccer, it has this, and always has been, has this, um, you know, ethos of. Strength training is a negative, you know, and it's just starting to turn. And still to this day, you get many, many co- coaches who will overdo the skills component. Like I've always said to my coaches, if you can't dribble at 21 years old, you not, shouldn't be here. You know what I mean? So if they're worried about that stuff, it's time to make them better athletes so they can, as long as they're getting touches on the ball. And it's a real different beast. And um, it's funny, when I was at the Raw, we did have, you know, some of those superstars who, you know, some ex-socceroos and all that. And they were very nervous. They've come from overseas sort of um, setups where they highly touched the gym equipment and all that sort of stuff. So to try and get buy in is such a, a harder thing to do than, say, sports that don't. So then I went to, so when my coach went to Guam, uh, my friend of mine, uh, Carl Dodd, who he, he'd become the head coach of mine. he was, a, he's also done sports science. So he was very well aware and he was the head of high performance at the Raw. And then I was with, I was his 2IC. And then when he took, he actually took the coach's role. Then he put me as head of high performance there because he knew I knew my stuff, and but he was a, the good thing that I had was he was a firm believer in you know athlete development. So he wasn't a guy who said, there okay, you know, he understood. You know, he wasn't a coach who had just touched on GPS or strength training or whatever. He said, "Can you get them prepared?" And the good thing about Guam <laughs> was there's not as many superstars, you know what I mean. So we did have our fair share. Of, we had three or four MLS players who were earning you know a, a good quid and and decent teams, Houston Dynamo, you know, Seattle, you know, we had one at the uh, LA Galaxy, which we were lucky enough to go and see. And, you know, then, so they're decent teams that are playing with Beckham and that, but quite obviously at the end of their career. But then we had a lot of college athletes, which is massive in the States and the Division Three and Division One sort of schools. And they had these ridiculous programming where in the States, it's, it's so much volume. They just – it's like three times a day. It's almost like – a job these poor kids get through then they have this time where they aren't touched for like nine weeks and they can't be touched due to ncaa rules and then when you get them back on these rules and it's, it's really hard and then so i always set these programs with parameters out with other coaches it's like, can we follow this and I, they'd come back with you know they're doing sets of you know 15 and 10 reps and i'm thinking what are you doing that for you've just done 40ks for the week you know you're like they played three games on astroturf you're like crazy so yeah, and I was with the setup for two years and, and I um we did get some leeway and get, and get some headway with some of these coaches and they were starting to drop their rep around, you know, and, w- and then when we had them in, you know, it was always like we didn't have the huge expense accounts and we didn't have all that stuff. So I'd either take some of my stuff from the gym. I'd take the wraps and I'd take some push bands. And when we did our weight sessions, it was always with the forethought, like, we're not going to have much time or not have much things. And then we have also dealing with soccer players who aren't, as strong as, say, some of these other physical demanding sports that we deal with. So it was a definite huge experience. And we're also coming up against guys like China. That When we played them, uh, it was 75,000 people in the stadium. Marcello Lippi was their coach on $14 million a year. You know, we're trying to do everything on a budget of, you know, my toll money. So um, when we went in, you know, I would go into these setups and you have to, first of all, you, you and your physio are trying to break down what we're dealing with, what, what kind of people, and, you know, some of these guys had some real issues and trying to do what we can to get them on the field and try and avoid detraining because some of them have been doing quite well. So all these sorts of things are in play and uh, it was it was a real challenge and pretty much what you're going through now at The Bubble, you know, we had an intense time. Like we didn't, you know, in Mongolia, you're literally there for, for 10 days, You're well, always there for 10 days for this mini tournament. And Bulimbatar wasn't the greatest of uh, um, tourism spots, and you didn't leave too far, and you stuck with this in this hotel that wasn't so great, and and the pitches were awful, and training was such a, and it just becomes such a regimented thing, you know, poor food, lack of equipment, blah blah blah. But, you know, you get through, and it really makes you really um, become a better coach. I've always said the coaches who deal with shittier teams and shittier budgets. Are the better coaches because they're so much more resourceful i don't want to hear about the guys playing at manchester united or that sort of stuff because they've had everything given to them it's the guys who haven't had the stuff that i think it's and it's made me a better coach 100 And I the things i did that were wrong the things i did that were right and i've learned from that and, and hopefully i transfer that into the Blackhawk. so i think that was an invaluable experience just trying to get these guys ready in these ridiculous and extreme conditions like compared to like we're trying to control diet and We'd walk in, like, we went check the kitchen. You're like, oh, geez, they're not boiling the water. Or, you know, we can't have them, you know, sick and three days. Like, it's all these sorts of things you, you wouldn't think of. You've got to be really on it because it's in Asia, it's a different beast. So, you know, I remember playing against Mongolia in Mongolia. They would um, throw you off the field to get – because they were down 1-0. But when they were time-wasting, they'd start it from the fourth minute. It was just really – two-way rules for everyone it was, it was real eye-opener and you know playing in Bhutan in the, in the we played in what was it uh 2,000 meters so higher than Denver you know we're in the Himalayas so we you, you drive past, you fly past um him, Mount Everest and you fly in you know we're on this top of the on top of the world and we're playing you know trying to get the boys ready for that was a, a real ordeal and you know, we um we didn't have the chance to Live high, train low, or any of that altitude stuff that we all been taught at uni. <laughs> flew in, we had seven days to prepare for a game, and a couple of trainings, and bizarre. And it was like it was you know these sorts of sessions that, that you know try and get them top ups and gym sessions. Can we not make them not too sore and at the same time you know they're running on you know, synthetic because there's no grass up there. And then from there we went to China, Guangzhou, forty degrees, you know, so in, in tropical weather like it's like Townsville. It's a just from one to the other, and because it's such a FIFA windows that drive in, they try and, in Asia. They try and do three or four games, and yeah, it was full on. It was it was, it was a good experience,
0: so. and obviously lots mm. of learning there as well. And it kind of almost yeah. sounds like never assume is probably a, a good way of
1: yeah. Just have to be so fluid. Like you no, know, what a planning I had. The things I gave them, um, the boys who were pretty diligent. To be fair, they they really were a good group, and they really stuck it to. Um, because we they went further than they've ever been before. Like us to qualify for the group stage has never happened. We're ranked 196 in the world, yeah, right. uh, and we made that. We made that. You know, we made the um, qualification round. We just we finished second in that one. We actually would have been up against. You know, could have played like your Korea's, your Japan's, your China's, your Australia it would have been really bizarre that a couple of Australian boys who had to travel away to, to be involved in an international setup. But it was exactly like the soccerers would have been. You know, in that same sort of feeling but just without the budget so it was a a challenge of sometimes where i, I hated it i won't lie to you being away from your family as you might know family in a weird place with no internet or trying to you know you just get sick of being with a bunch of lads for too long as, as always as well and even though as good as they are and, but it, yeah, it was definitely challenges and but geez I, I i look back now and go you know take that experience away and go not many people everyone kind of chuckles when you say things like that you know like i was with guam or but I, I probably what I learn from those little stints is such a such an valuable experience.
0: Uh definitely, and, and even my experiences here at the camp—you know—I'm still yeah. doing stuff and um, learning. at random!
1: My,
0: learning from yeah. my mistakes, you know, and and Absolutely. doing stuff on the fly. And anyway, <laughs> so for those people who have tuned in to listen about how Matt does BFR, we're finally <laughs> going to get into that now. And th- there's obviously a couple of examples I think are going to come out of here. The first one that I'd love you to touch on, you started to talk about how you use it effectively as a deload, but you used it within your German volume training. And I guess what I'd like you to, to explain is like just how globally you used it and the clients you used it. What did they feel when they used it for the first time? Because, you know, people right. have different reactions. And I, and I guess some of the the results that you may have had from that.
1: Yeah, okay. Um, so first of all, at Hammer, we never, I was a big anti eight week challenger. So, um, my best way to build the year, well, I used to call it the German volume um, training. So, it was like probably the closest thing we'd get to an eight week challenge. I'd, I'd, I'd give them diet advice, nutrition advice, and then I'd put them on this, you know, the German volume. And, and when I first started the business, it was, you know, 10B10, and I went through the, the old school 1980 four method or 76 method by fritz whatever his name was and we did the three body groups 10 by 10 blah blah blah, three times a week you know and you know we had a massive obviously anyone who does that much volume and eats okay is having a massive effect on their fat loss, and it was a really really successful program and with the years it got a bit of a following and everyone as much as they hated and hard we got every year we just kept modifying it and changing it and changing and changing it so by the fifth and sixth year you know, I started to think, oh, you know, we're running out of ideas here. So we started started off with like a modified, well, it's not even probably German volume anymore. We we'll just ended up becoming <laughs> like this big, huge volume program. But we kept German in front of it because we had that following. And we did. We started off with a 10v10 in the first week, and then we went to 8v8, 6v6, 5v5. And then in the fifth week, we implemented occlusion or BFR at the time. And so obviously as we got um, more tired and, the everything's starting to hit on its, you know, wits end, you know, basically overreaching for that, for that long. Again, you know, with it was only three sessions a week and I minimized their cardio and all those sorts of things that we did that I told them to do and they adhered to it. But by the end, then even though German volumes, you know, usually at 50 or 60% anyway, but with ours, we went 50% with the 10v10, 60% with the 8v8, 70% with the 6 6 and then close to 80% of their RMs for the 5v5, right? Which is so we were going up with our um, our percentage RM, which means there's more and more stress on the central nervous system, even though muscle, the muscular system still fl- getting flogged. But in saying the muscular system is actually getting a bit of a rest as our obviously more input from the, from the strength aspect. So when it got to that fifth week, we were like, okay, we'll just completely come from that 80% straight down to 30% of the percentage RM. And we wrapped our clients up into uh, – our power wraps that I bought so usually the power wraps for the knees I put them around their quads up high on the quad and the power wraps for the wrists I put that around their arms and wrap them tight we obviously asked the clients and told them you know obviously we've done it before and we push the client say listen unless you've got a heart problem this is quite safe and even then it's not really much evidence to say there is an issue but but we put them through this um awful pro, this awful week then so hopefully it was the final week of the, of the thing before they got tested again and um so we would do the same protocol for the legs i think we did a 30 rep 15 rep 15 rep 15 rep which was just off a study that i i saw i can't even remember why it was just what the protocol that they used and i thought why not we'll use that we did that also with um romanian deadlifts and uh and then we moved into to like lung- like we did do lunges in the first year of this and it was crazy that like the, the legs were screaming stabbing them and it was hilarious but we gave them a, a break between the squat. We went squats for and we gave them a mini break because we ran out of wraps because we did it in phases. So then the next group got the new wraps and we wrapped them up, and it was a bit sweaty, but put a towel on, you know, a bit yucky, not COVID safe these days. But and then we then we gave them back <laughs> to them and went through it again, and they did the lunges in it, and, uh, and then we did the upper body later in the week. And it was just it was a um, they hated the experience. They, they thought it was awful, but they finished it. It was just this amazing feeling that or what the hell's going on? They were pumped up. Their arms were f- massive. Their legs felt really full. And I think because it was the last and the culmination of a massive program, we had a really, really, really good response. And, and to be fair, just before that, most of my clients were f- familiar with it because we did use it as a deload between programs anyway. So um, not to that extent because that was actually part of the program. But normally we use it for a deload for one week after we did testing. So we might do strength testing or um where our skin falls, which took up a bit of time. And then so their Thursday, Friday session would be, a you know, or BFR, so they'd be absolutely shattered again, but at a really low percentage RM. And they'd come back the next week, not detrained, you know, feeling fresh and we'd start again and we'd start our next phase of training. And the way, like I said, the way I had Hammer, we do volume and then we do strength and then we do strength power, then we'd flip back to volume and, we just flow that through, and that was our volume phase, that GBT would set us up for the year. Our guys came back from Christmas feeling a bit a bit overweight or for shithouse, they come back a bit leaner. What a better thing to do than volume. And then we, we put BFR in that last um, in that last one, which was a bit crazy. Then the following year, we actually had then the push bands and we did velocity loss, BFR, 10v10. So we were just adding more and more things to it. So it became become this beast on its own. I don't even know what to call it now. It wasn't really German volume, more like hammer volume. But um, yeah, yeah. So it ended up becoming a, quite a feature in all of it, most of our training then. But uh, it was, yeah, we used in that last last sort of week just to finish finish them off, if you want. But it was because it's safe. We you know, we've gone from squats. We would we would do goblet squats and Romanians and you know limited deflection. So you know even though they're tired and a bit ragged by that week, we gave things where there wasn't too risk you know, risk averse. So and obviously having high reps and low rep weight. You know it's even safer again so it was just a one of those things that was perfectly snug at the end of that program we had such a good result with it so they they loved it hated it. like they literally some of them were like getting stabbed you know getting that real lactic response and that acidosis and um you know they fucking hated also oh, there it is <laughs> they fucking hated it <laughs>
0: there it is finally
1: yeah. we're finally 30 is, minutes yeah.
0: in and it's the first one gone yeah
1: no it's just the longest i've done without swearing so um <laughs> but um no it was yeah, it was it was a really good thing and, and we, it was really successful we, um it was good and i we, we even from there we obviously use it for injured injured young ones that we got coming through and it would become a real feature because those power wraps you know it was none, no, nothing like your cuffs or, or any of that out there back in the day and i was like wishing something was easier to use <laughs> than wrapping them up and but uh, i had to buy a fair few of those old powerlifting wraps we went through a few so yeah but you know it was it was povo but it did the job you know so um how listen? How measurable was it? I don't know. It wasn't a not exactly controlled study, but um, anecdotally, surely there was something happened through the research that we that had been done at that time, and I'm sure there would have been some great adaptations from it, anyways. But it was it was a really good it was really good, and, and what that did when I come to professional athletes, I know how to use it, You know what I mean? So
0: yeah, definitely. There's a lot of stuff out there regarding practical BFR where they've used straps, and everyone's got their different methodology. You know, seven out of ten is typically RPE. That you say, well, how tight is it?
1: Yeah, that's what that's what I'd say. And ten, seven, they're like, yep, done. All right, that was my, that was my, yeah.
0: And it sounds like you know, with your level of education, that you've educated your your clients or your athletes very well. So they would know if they're testing, they'd be knowing what a ten out of ten or seven out of ten is, uh, and a one out of ten is, and as I said, there's as long as you have your checks in place, you know. There's other things called capillary refill time, where you, there's points on the on the palm uh, or on the VMO. Press that, and skin colour is another big one. And, and obviously, just looking at at the response of your clients as well. Like, is it, are you fatiguing over the sets, and so forth. And I think it's a smart way of of deloading. I actually interestingly do that with a couple of athletes I work with. Is we get to a deload week, there you know, I still need them to stay in touch with the exercise. So like spinal loading for me is a consideration the whole time. So if I have a week off spinal loading, how does that affect my next week? So I can continue doing step ups, continue to load on the spine, but just de-load it and use the cuffs as a nice recovery piece. I think as you really hit on it is as much as it's tough at the time, they take it, then they go, Oh, this is the hardest thing ever. They take it off and pretty much the next day they go oh it was a solid session but i feel fine and i think that's an amazing
1: absolutely and that's why it's so appealing it's so appealing it just you know we all know it takes seven days to detrain and you've done a good batch of work you know what i mean and how do we how do we keep them fresh how do we, you know we don't want to go into that following week and you know carry that accumulative fatigue and maybe start shit results you know that sort of stuff just gives us that fresh outlook. Boom, we come into the next week. We haven't deloaded. We haven't detrained, but we've deloaded. And as coaches, isn't that the hardest thing to do is like is to try and get maximum performance with the least amount of work, you know? And these sorts of things, these sorts of tools is like such an essential part of um what we do. And I often think, oh you know, how clever, you know, something so simple and we've had such great results with so noddle on ahead.
0: Think from a periodization viewpoint as well, for me and probably for yourself, like Every week and every session has a purpose to it. So even your deload week has a purpose. You don't want them to detrain. You want them to come back in good shape. So how do you give purpose to their session that they're doing and make them, especially when they're paying money yep. to come and train, how do you make them feel like they're getting yeah. a good quality session as opposed to just doing something light or having a stretch where they say, like, "Oh, I could be doing this at home."
1: That's yes, right. And that's and that that mate that you know that and that was absolutely perfect because. Firstly, they're paying you almost a dollar a minute, if not more than a dollar a minute. So my biggest thing was when we deload, first first part of the week we will do an RM test. And I was always a big believer that RM testing is a deload, right? You're reducing your reps, you smack your central nervous system. But then by the time we come back, you've had seven days before. So we're not really losing our strength adaptation. But then later in the week, you've got to see them again. I'm not going to smack them again because then that defeats the purpose. and you know I didn't want us to cancel I'm so oh, listen just have one session this week because my fucking rents the same <laughs> you know what I mean each week so i have got to pay the bills yeah. so you've also got to have the element of business aspect you go fuck you know we've got to get some we're gonna get some keep these guys coming and we have got to make them feel like you know this is why I come to hammer or this is why I come to the gym is gonna feel like I've done something and, and but at the same time morally as a coach I can't sit there and go uh, you know what no we're just going to flog you again because that defeats the whole purpose of why i set my business up so how did we do it we did it with bfr and um we got a massive session they're they're so fucked after it but at the same time it doesn't affect their forward thinking so for the plan for um, performance so it was um uh, it was awesome it was it, it, and it, yeah and it was something and you know what it was also a point of difference that no one had at the time no one was doing that around me no one was doing it no one even heard of it so you know, if I pat myself on the back, I like to think that, you know, I was one of the first ones of those guys who were doing even thinking of this stuff at the time, in commercial aspect anyway.
0: Yeah, definitely. I haven't heard anything mm-hmm. like that, systematically using it, you know, in a really smart and clever way. You said you squatted, remaining deadlift, lunged.
1: Curls, tricep extensions, classic. We had to get them in and we did some floor press, <laughs> so partials. Beautiful. Yeah, so we always did, um, like I said, I didn't want to go through huge like, again, because it was a deload, can we do partials that would still get the same effect so we're not ripping out the whole system again? I always thought partials is, you know, not as um, fatiguing as it can be as, as big groups. But our squats was goblet squats. We didn't do, like you said, I was a massive believer of not having huge spinal loading, especially after such a load in five weeks through GVT. So I was just so worried about that, um, you know, back squats and front squats. So we just did, we did goblets, which, you know, right down, you know, we did. Um, you know, thirty percent of their RMs and they fucking doesn't matter who you are, the kind of rep ranges I threw out them were still fucking hard. And then, you know, even the next year after that I made prowler instead of the lunges with it. And that was awful as well. So um yeah, the whole reverse sled for the VMOs and you know, we had definitely a lot of women not very happy with me. And you know, like we never nailed it properly. Like so sometimes it was too tight. They're like, I can't feel my legs so we change it and you know, those sorts of things, you know, we didn't nail the pressure all the time. Sometimes I think people hid and say, Yeah, it's fine, but you knew it probably wasn't tight enough. And you know, you have those sorts of things. It wasn't like we were nailing it seven out of ten and getting perfect every time, but most of them were, was was pretty good. I'd say 80, 80 to ninety percent loved it. So.
0: so if this makes you feel any bit better about the whole pressure thing, if you would go onto a arterial occlusion fifty to eighty yeah. percent, it's a range, depending on the cup width, right. depending on sensation of the athlete or the client and i'll calculate some pressures on people and i'll go that's too tight and i'll have to adjust it and, and actually in camp i've been getting a few of the players to use it for pain yeah. um, they have a lot of knee and shoulder issues so doing really basic movements and with the size of these guys the pressure i'm using is probably 30 to 40 mils of mercury under what we would normally yeah. describe and and i would kind of go We're not going to get much of effect, but they're actually still getting an effect and they're going, wow, I can actually walk with no pain in my or Wow, I can actually lift my arm above my head. And that's using a low pressure that I would go, like what you said, go, yeah.
1: Is it anecdotal? Is it anecdotal? Yeah, but it it turns out it's not, you know. If it has an effect.
0: Yeah, and and that's a great, like the deload, love it. Have you got a couple of other neat examples that you could – Share with us? Yeah, so we
1: had. Um, so when I went to Guam, I took those straps over. We had a three team tournament playing Taiwan, Mongolia, and shit, I can't remember the other one. <laughs> some other team, I can't remember, some Asian team, there's so many. But uh, I remember going in, and we had two of our best players traveling from the the, the west coast of the States at the time, and the um, east coast of the States at the time, and they were my biggest high risk. And they were probably a wow. better place. So these guys were wound up so tight they were actually too lean. I couldn't get them any fatter. They were like um, 27 mils after 12 sites, like ridiculous, just naturally. But they were such a high risk of soft tissue. They'd had soft tissue before and all these sorts of things. So I would, when we did our strength sessions and that, I just pied them straight away and made them just do all cuff work. So they were doing – and listen, was it the right thing? But it, they'd just come off the plane as well doing 29 hours of travel, three different time zones. Um, there's no way – you know, and not with the sets that I was doing in session that I did at the, the the gym was very hard, you know, doing box squats and I was doing four press, again, partials, not looking to get soreness. I was looking to get a bit of strength, a bit of power, you know, three sets of three, nothing crazy, something just to touch the boys on so we didn't detrain before we went. So anything we did before we got there, at least we've kept it in. But with these boys, because we actually had three brothers and two of them were twins and they're all just, just genetically... Like wound up like balls, so I just said no. Nah, I caught you know these guys, wrapped them up, and I did you know I did a, a similar sort of session I do back in hammer, reduced the rep ranges a bit, and then um, I did the hammies because that was a big one. I actually did their calves as well, and then we did, yeah, you know, we ended up doing four bench press, and then we well, was and I did do lunges with them. And to be fair, we got through that week. Now listen, was it because of the cuffs? It was uh, who knows. But those boys played. Seventy, if I remember, because he was substituted for his brother. So one was seventy minutes, and the other one played ninety. And usually, we pull them off after sixty because they used to cramp. And then once they start to cramp, they they can't. Like they, they're just rigor mortis, you yeah. And then um, Nate, the younger one, ended up becoming our ninety-minute player. He ended up staying on and becoming quite the good one. The other two, who you know, cause 29 30 year thirty-year-old barrier, starting to yeah, we started to replace them as, as um, more often anyway, but. Nate became not, and he uses that now all the time. He uses a Friday session. He uses, um, he wraps. I don't know what he uses, but he said he used it. And hopefully, he's not taking like a belt or something into the gym. But, uh, <laughs> but he was said he, he was, I, was I, I didn't ask him what he was using, but he said ever since that time, he had such a good positive outlook that he played 90 minutes he kept going. So that was a really good positive story of that I've used it for. I've also used it as, as an injury thing. So when we were, At the Raw, we had guys coming back just from, you know, I remember ex soccer at the time, you know, very, very timid when it comes to lifting. He did a bit of lifting, but he was not really at a, you know, some degeneration of the knee, you know, very, very high-profile player. I convinced him to wrap him. Uh, It took some time, uh, but we did, and he um, went gangbusters. He then from then, after doing two or three weeks of just doing some cuff work where we deloaded him like for him, it was really light, but it was so hard. He then started and jumped in with the boys, and I got by him through using the cuff because he wasn't like, oh, okay, I feel a bit better, better. I can lift without pain. I'm not going to break. It's not the weights that are going to break me uh, because I kind of – it was like an entry level, but the entry level, we would have got some really good gains because he was pretty weak, put some BFR in, didn't have to overload him. It was a really different way of using it. It was the way I got buying from him. Uh, he became then a regular lifter in the gym with the other boys but before that he'd never touch it but because i said how about we go really light and i do this to you nothing else changes you won't be you know you're not any risk and that's what convinced him and then from then on yeah and we got he he was squatting without pain he had a yes he's always had and then he ended up playing you know 11 to 12 games then we left and then i think um he i don't think he i don't know what happened after that but he's i think his knee went a bit bad i think they stopped training and whatever but you know, as a KPI, that's a massive win for me. I, I thought that was one of my huge highlights. Is actually getting some of these older guys in that squad to play. You know, and and to get them as fit as uh, well, fit as strong as they could be on there. And I was I was pretty chuffed with that. So that was a, that was a, probably one of my biggest success stories because he was a high profile athlete. But in Guam, it was really good. Well, we were in Mongolia when we used it. I just thought, bugger it! I'm going to use it for these three, tw- the three brothers, and, and um we had a a really good. Part. Now, could I say the one in Mongolia was. Anything to do with the BFR, maybe, maybe not, yeah, hopefully. But it still made them fresh and they still left, they still lifted, which means they didn't detrain from their weights that they've been doing beforehand, which was also my program. So because we were over there for you know two weeks, if we didn't lift, obviously we want we want to detrain So it was one of those good things. And then but when I came back, we used it for that injury and I uh, you know it as a bit of a comeback in, and that was a pretty successful way to use it. And the good thing was I'd done it with general pop, you know what I mean? So Heaps and heaps of times, so I felt quite. You, you think you, you're quite skilled at it, you know. You know, seven out of ten. Give me a look at your fingers. Yeah, No, no, everything's fine. You knew the things to reassure the player because I've been reassuring the general public. You were doing it. You know what I mean? So um, it didn't matter if you're a pro or not a pro. It's the same shit. So it was good, and th- there are my probably three highlights
0: of it. Yeah. Yeah, and just as you're talking there, we'll take your Guam one for example. Like I was just thinking about that's even just a smart way of preparing athletes that they've come off a long-haul flight. I think, you know, you come into a national team or a, or a big team scenario and the temptation is we've got to train. We've mm-hmm. got to jam as much work as we can in there. How can you help mitigate risk, you know, as a strength coach? We, we want to probably get our hands dirty and come on, let's yeah. get lifting in, in in a group of athletes who don't mm-hmm. like
1: or traditionally and lift. Sorry to interrupt. The other problem with that is, is, um, well, I'm, I'm a coach who's more on the accelerator, you know, like I like to push and I don't mind. Listen, sometimes I make mistakes and they might get hurt, but I think it's a dying breed out there um, from our perspective is pushing performance, you know. Too many people are so afraid of losing a job now because, you know, soft tissue and all that's such a big issue. And like, listen, don't get me wrong, it's still a priority in my head every day you go out and train. But so many people put the brakes on too early before you even get to there. So when I did it with these boys, it was within that mindset that, well, I still have to get them in there, but how can I get them in there with the boys, but make them feel like, but at the same time, protect them. But they're, you know, they're a special pop almost, you know what I mean? So they're a special population amongst a group of athletes, which is even rarer, you know, that you're going to have your injured, your older guys, the younger guys, the guys who can do everything. And it was just one of those things, I think, I think too many people, and maybe I'm but. Too many people put the brakes on way too early in the safety of their jobs, instead of trying to get the best out of their athletes. You know, so risk versus reward and all that. I, I, I think in when you, but there's so many tools out there where you can still put the accelerator on. You know what I mean? And get velocity loss stuff. Now we've got you know wireless you know accelerometers. You've got BFR. All these sorts of things are out there. where you can push the pedal and still maintain an element of safety. But I think too many people just put that handbrake on too early.
0: You know, don't sell yourself short here. It's experience of you as a coach. You've you've seen a, like, especially with your business, you've seen a wide yeah. variety of athletes from we call all your clients athletes, mm-hmm. whether it's from those who have never trained to the young to the old to the those who love training to the don't training. So, you, you know, even like yourself, when I first started, I did personal training, and I still to this day. So that was invaluable experience for yeah. me as a strength coach because I could just continually learn on different populations all in one area
1: absolutely Invaluable.
0: i was just trying to actually think about like you know you're saying that the players the year three players played quite well one of the benefits of bfr is around ischemic preconditioning so and one of those offshoots from that is it improves the mitochondrial carrying capacity of the blood mm-hmm. so consequently although they might be getting a little bit of strength might be good for their joints and hips yeah. and their muscles because they've been sitting down for so long and they're still getting really good muscle activation they're getting hormonal activation yeah. are you getting some sort of fitness improvement as well potentially yeah through those kind of pathways
1: i remember reading the study was it that study with the listen again this is going back 2012 2011 when i read it so it could be i could be wrong it was a long time ago but one of the things that grabbed me it might have been at an ASCA conference actually i remember reading the guys who were walking on treadmills who had a strength gain and an aerobic gain yeah, you know, was it for four weeks or five weeks of walking on an incline, ten yeah. percent or something? They did nothing. Yeah. And they had an increase. So that's the sort of stuff that made me go, oh, Fuck, maybe we can do that. that. that's the that's the study that stuck in my head to implement it, you know, and then let alone now that's what always that's always the study like remember we were talking before we went on something that you that I told you that you've taken away from what I said on Instagram once. That's the something that stays in my head every time I thought about BFR was like, Look, they did so little and they had such a game. So, you know even if we're getting, you know, having got all the bells and whistles, we're going to get some adaptations. It's, it seemed to be all that, all those results, the, you know, the anabolic hormone response, all that sort of stuff is, was, you know, seems to be such a, a very big reward for such a low effort level, you know what I mean? So you know, that's that's where I got it from.
0: It's being smart. Yeah. yeah. So, and your point about your soccer player back in Australia, uh, football player, apologies yep. for the, oh, yeah. <laughs> the fanatics out there is that I've I've actually sometimes thought with the right population, is this a better way to start lifting with someone? So traditionally, when you get someone in the gym, and people will talk about, you know, they come into the gym and they think they've got to lift heavy weight. So under the wrong coach or under the wrong mindset, it's like, well, I've got to, and we'll take squat as your perfect example. Well, I've got to be squatting big weights because that's what, I'm here to do. I'm here to get strong. I want to. I want to get the changes. And if you've never lifted before, as you and I both yep. know, it, it takes a long time to actually see good, noticeable change. So you got, so you got people pushing themselves probably with potentially poor movement patterns exactly. as a result of
1: low you know, gym just, age. Yep, low gym age. You know, and then they go, and then they're expecting ten percent increases every time. You know, like can take six months for a two percent increase sometimes, you know, like it can just be yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Maybe it is a way we could introduce it.
0: Yeah. I think I've blogged this a couple of times and thrown it out on the pot on these podcasts is that you get someone in for the first time, you can actually slow it down. You can you can get them take them time to teach technique. You get them into positions because if they have issues with joints, you get rid of the joint pain and then you can go nice and light. A, they feel like they're getting um, okay. some sort of muscular benefit because, as you said earlier, they're just going, "Oh, my legs are feeling massive." They're they're screaming, so they're, they're getting that that physiological, but also that mindset that oh, it's a hard session. And then they can actually see the change. So within a couple of weeks, you're looking down, and you're going, "Actually, my legs are starting to yeah. you know give a bit more definition or you know change shape to the yeah. way I want it to." And and then over time, because training is all about stress and whether it's metabolic stress through bfr or whether it's mechanical stress through using load you're going to have to continually stress the system so it might be over time the cuffs come off yeah because look, load is still king and I, I will say this over and over again in in an athletic population load is king yeah we still need it but then you then say well how can i use it continually use it in warm-ups use it as primers yep. use them as finishes Delo- Use them as and and that's exactly right like you know be intelligent yeah and that's that's the cool thing that and then you get buy-in as well from people that potentially might go i have traditionally hated the gym but now i can get it a pain-free session done i can feel a change yep in less time i can do something in 30 minutes
1: exactly and you know all that time early on while they're learning the pattern not only are they getting a little bit of metabolic stress but you know at such a low weight, they're still getting strength adaptations, you know what I mean? So they're just they're based. They you know, I've always been a big believer, you've got to have a base before you can start throwing anything on there. You've got to earn the right to, you know. It's um and that almost fast forwards it. You can be quite basic. And and because of and especially, you know, as and the other thing you find, what I found with specific soccer player or footy player, his gym age was awful. You know, he would have been less than some of my mum's or dads who've come in from not and they've been lifting for ten years that that would be more experience in the gym right so as you know anyone with such a low base anything we did he had a huge effect you know like he he just had this like curve that went up so you know he um his strength went up his lean muscle mass went down his pain was you know, exaggerated, you know went really well and then that also fed into his confidence but. Because his base was low. So if you are starting anyone, you know, you're thinking about this now, spitballing with you, had a bunch of new athletes, new, new, new people coming to a gym who never lifting before who are a bit hesitant and they were in a class atmosphere. And like, okay, why don't we do this? You do the same exercises, but we'll do it really light, right? Just look for these things. You might, You know, after two weeks, put some cuffs on and do it. And then three or four weeks later, they're doing the bar. You can still just off them off, add load exactly like you said. Load is king. But then it doesn't mean that's the end of BFR. They're, they're still going to have an affinity with it. Use it in more months. Use deload. But then people who else, you see it, it, it could be your protocol then for newies. You know what I mean? It, it, there's, there's nothing wrong with it having as a uh, – just think of that now. I never thought of it in a commercial aspect. But if you've got them, use them at the start for people who've never lifted before. Wall sits, things like that, you know, things where you can just build up a base so then they can move into squat. So some people can't fucking squat, you know, so you can't even – do air squats awfully or through ankle mobility, whatever. So, wrap them up, make them feel like they're doing it. Start off with wall sits and then move in. And then, while you're teaching them, keep them on. So, like you said, it, it'll be a actually really, really good idea to use it as a intro as for some clients. Granted, it might be a bit daunting, but maybe not. Uh,
0: but I think if you introduce it gently, yeah. gently into it, yeah. I feel you'd probably get more noticeable gains, more from that aesthetic viewpoint. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah which and then also you think about like say um people who don't exercise a lot you know they're sitting down a lot that they're not stretching like they should do they're not doing all the all those little bits and pieces who does does? (laughs) you know yeah and what a lot of people find is when they use it's like they have less pain like if they've had back pain or knee pain they go oh it's gone so then then they they have a positive association with exercise Mm. it's not painful it's not stressful they don't have to be trying to squat the house down and they don't have to worry about their back yeah. or hurting themselves. And then if they want to go down that route of, hey, I'm really enjoying it. I want to go the, level. the German volume training. I want to go five by five I want to get yeah. my one RM going, you can. But if they want to go that other route and sort of saying, I actually quite like this what, what I'm
1: doing. Yep. Yeah. And you can you can change it by just changing the stimulus. Yeah. Just same, put the BFR on, but just change the exercise. Go from gobbler squats to lunges or Bulgarians, you just change your exercise, you get the same. There's your stress, you know. So, yeah, no, it's um, I never thought of it. I never like just speaking that out loud. I never really thought of it as an intro, but it makes sense. It's actually probably a good commercial way of doing it.
0: Yeah, I don't have a commercial group of uh, clients. No, to I'm, I'm, yeah,
1: I'm writing this down. Right, <laughs> <laughs> protocol one, new client. <laughs> so,
0: well, look, thanks for your time. That this yeah. time's flown for me. Um, it's been a been a great chat, and I. I do uh, really enjoy our convos uh, whenever we do get to catch up. You're doing a lot. You're very busy. Hammer Athletic. Let's just throw out some of your contacts and your socials, and I'll put this on my yeah, show notes sure. as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we're at East Brisbane and uh, Three Manila Street. So um, if you're looking at selling a good bunch of staff. You know what they're talking about. We've got two boys there who've just finished. Or one's finished their masters. One's almost finished their masters, and um, you know one GPS and one. And hamstring strains and growing stuff. Obviously, I'm the owner who has also done his master. So we've got some really good, well, well-rounded coaches there. We've got two young boys who are really excellent. One has got his bachelor, one's almost finished his physio. And just a really great team, but great bunch of lads. And if you want a gym that has forward thought, for you to be, you know, like I said, my ethos is consistency. If you're not gonna if you want to lose weight or get fit or strong, you've got to be in the gym more often. The only way to do that is with people who know what they're doing on Friday as well as Monday next week, the week after, the week after. If you don't have that periodization, that forethought, then you're going to be broken down. Therefore, you're not going to be in the gym. And um, our boys do that better than most. So, um, yeah, Joe, we're down at East Brisbane. Search us up hammerathletic.com.au if you want to anything else. But other than that, I don't really like plugging yourself. I've just really enjoyed the talk, mate. But uh, thank you for 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 the heads up and everything. It was really good. Yeah, good to chat to you, mate.
0: Yeah. Thank you very much and and thank you listeners for joining in this podcast and you know you know I try to keep these ones short and snappy but what I feel for for this podcast I've taken out is that firstly the BFR stuff is is you know what I love about it is the simplicity of it and how you've taken something complex and made it simple but also for aspiring business owners or coaches out there that you know I think the first part was just some invaluable lessons as a coach on their journey into the SNC world and you know there's lots of lessons that we we all make mistakes and we all learn from our mistakes and you know, as long as it makes us better as a practitioner, I think that's pretty important. As long as it's safe, mistakes, of course, we don't yeah, have to yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly right. So, um, be careful of that. But, but thanks again for your time, and thank you, listeners. And that's all today for this episode of BFR Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to take part in the podcast, please contact me through my website or on social media channels. At Chris Cavilio. For more information and to order a set of your own BFR cuffs, please visit my website at sportsrehab.com.au. Thanks for listening and keep the pump.